Hey, so today is Family Sunday. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, because it's Family Sunday, we get to have special, special things happen, special guests. So I'm going to welcome up Santino Castillo. Where is he at? There he is. And Santino is going to read the word for us this morning. So why don't you open your Bibles, and I'd encourage you to read along with us. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you probably have something on your phone. But if you don't even have that, we'll have it on the screen for you. So we're going to give them a second to turn, you know, because, you know, they might have a real Bible, and they got to turn some pages. You ready? Yeah. All right, he's ready. He's ready, guys. All right, this is Matthew 6. We're going to read from verse 25 through the end of that section there to verse 34. Okay. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. It is not more life, it's not. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who are you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you so worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, he will not, he will not much more clothe you. You of little faith, do not worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what we will wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thank you, Santino. Nice job. Man, he read it with authority. Come on. So good. Well, that is our word for this morning, Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. You know, anxiety and depression and mental illness is at an all-time high in our culture. If you do any basic Google searches, you will find that these numbers have skyrocketed in light of COVID, in light of politics, in light of all the different things that are unfolding in our world. And I will tell you that there is much reason to be worried from a human perspective right now in our culture. There's a lot of things that make sense to be concerned about them. But I will tell you that Jesus' words are in sharp contrast to the way that you and I are inclined to think and act as human beings. He challenges us to take all of our cares and concerns and anxieties to his feet, to his throne, and to cast our cares to him because he cares for us you know, the heading in some of your scripture may say the cure for anxiety, and this truly is a cure for the anxious. Now, some of you in this room are not prone to worry. I would be in your camp. I'm not a big worrier. I'm more of an optimistic person. I kind of like day by day, I like to fly by the seat of my pants sometimes. Like, you know, sometimes you're in worship and it's like that's the sixth chorus. And I'm like, yeah, because that's what we do, man. All right. And, you know, then the pastor's like, oh, worship went a little long. And I'm like, yeah, sorry, you know, got excited. Um, but here's the thing. We have something to be excited about this morning. But I will tell you that these 
these troubles that we face, these struggles that we face in our mind, and, and man, they affect more than just our mind. Stress takes a toll on the body as well. In fact, statistics show that people who are most stressed usually live shorter lives. So there is something about this battle that we face as humans against anxiety and worry that actually take a physical toll on our God-given bodies. And so as we look at Jesus' words this morning, I pray that we would be challenged to be a people who trust our Heavenly Father, who actually trust Him. We really trust Him to provide. We actually trust Him to come through. And even when the blessing doesn't come the way that I think it should come, I still continue to trust him. Because sometimes, friend, we equate God's blessing with provision, with getting a nice car, with getting a raise at work. There are churches right now that are causing toxic cancer in the church of Jesus Christ because they are teaching a false gospel and a false narrative that says that when you become a Christian, we would call this the prosperity gospel. And some of you have sat in churches this morning and you have heard this said to you, that if you just become a Christian, everything's going to be great. And then you become a Christian and everything ain't great. And you're like, somebody's lying. And it ain't Jesus, because Jesus himself said that they hated me, they will hate you also. And I said, as we were going through 1 John a couple Wednesday nights ago, that is not the verse that you put on your refrigerator and look at in the morning before you have your morning coffee. Oh, I'm just so excited to be hated today by the world. (laughs) No. We put verses like, you know, God will provide for all our needs. He loves us. He cares for us. We put the verses we like. But then when we face hardship, see, when we make Jesus this projection of who we want him to be, that's idolatry. And when we make Jesus this thing that he isn't, and then he doesn't come through the way we think he should based on our false idea of who he is, we're confused. And people walk away from the faith altogether because they were never given the real Jesus. And so this morning, as we look at his words, I am so thankful that Jesus, the God of the universe, in flesh, doesn't pretend that anxiety and worry and fear aren't a thing. Instead, he tells us how to navigate through them and what to do with our anxiety. Jesus is talking to a normal group of people as he gives this sermon. This is a sermon from Jesus. Talk about a good text to go to. This is Jesus teaching the Bible. Like he's teaching the word of God. Pretty cool. The best sermon you're ever going to read. Billy Graham's cool. He got nothing on Jesus. And so we're going to read Jesus' words this morning in Matthew 6. Before we go any further, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we are a people who can trust in our heavenly Father. If we have called on the name of Jesus and we've repented of our sin and we are following after you this morning, we are children of the Most High God. And I pray that we would find comfort in the fact that our God is our Father, he is in charge, he is reigning in victory. And so whatever we may be facing in this life right now pales in comparison to the glory to come, to being in your presence, you will make all things new. The day is coming when you will make all things new. So we lean on you this morning. We press into that hope that we have, that the day is coming when you will restore and make all things right. But in this time, Lord, in this small time that we have on earth, in this temporary body, I pray that we would be a people that are so full of joy 
because we know who our heavenly father is and we know that you hold the victory in your hands. Give us guidance and discernment and wisdom this morning as we navigate these topics. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark Twain is quoted saying somewhat famously, I am an old man and I have known a great many troubles, but most of them have never happened. (laughs) You know, I can really relate to that. Now, some of you are prone to worry. I said that I'm, I'm typically a little bit more relaxed. Uh, you know, my wife's more of a worrier. She, like to, she likes to really, like, play out the worst-case scenario. You know, like, everything happens. She's like, you know, well, we could die. I'm like, yeah, we could die. You're right. That is always a possibility. You know, sometimes this happens to us when we're on an airplane, right? Like, we get in the airplane, and we're like, okay, I'm sitting in row 34A, but I'm going to try to fly the plane with my mind, okay? And so, like, you're worried the whole flight, and who is being helped by your worrying? No one. In fact, usually you start telling somebody you're worried, and then the person next to you is like, well, I wasn't thinking about that, but now I am. And now you're spreading worry, right? And here's the thing. Unless you're like a pilot, even if they put me in the cockpit, I couldn't help. Like, I could go sit next to the the pilot, and he could be like, you know what, here, man, have my seat. And I would still be like, I don't know what to do. My worry literally helps nothing. It only hurts me. And my worrying, oftentimes in life, I would say all the time, doesn't actually amount to anything except self-harm. It's to my detriment to worry and to be anxious. And some of us in this room this morning, if you're being honest, you're like, yeah, I'm an anxious person. I'm, I'm really worried about everything. You know, some of you, it's germs. You're like, everywhere you go, you are a little bit worried about every surface that you are touching, especially in light of COVID. Okay, I'm seeing a lot of people who are worried. I absolutely believe that we need to protect the most vulnerable among us and be smart and honor God in the way that we conduct ourselves, okay? I am not anti-vax. If you wanna go get a vaccine, I am not gonna say anything about that because that is your personal decision, okay? There are so many things right now that are such hot topics in our culture, we have forgotten how to have even a conversation, so no wonder everybody's anxious, you, you are scared to bring up anything when you go anywhere now. We had a lady at a grocery store one time say, I don't talk about religion. I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about sports. And I'm like, man, what does this lady talk about? <laughs> she doesn't talk about anything. I guess it's easier to not talk about anything because then there's nothing to fight over. But then people be like, you're rude because you're quiet. And then if you're extroverted like me, when you feel quiet that day, people are like, what's wrong? I'm like, there's nothing wrong. I just don't want to talk to you. But many of the things that we worry about never even happen. Mark Twain said it well. I'm an old man. I've known many troubles, but most of them have never even happened. They just happen in my mind. I've flown many times across large bodies of water. Talk about horror film. Cast away as a horror film, okay? Like the idea of being in the open ocean is terrifying to me. And, you know, when you're in a big plane, it's like I've told my wife flying with her before, like, if we go down, we're going to die. So... We might as well enjoy this because I can't stop this. If this thing's going down, we're going down. But here's the thing, fam. I have hope in the fact that my days are already numbered by God. So I'm not going to die one microsecond before he is already ordained in time. And there is nothing that can undo that. That's pretty amazing that he already has a course for my life. And I just need to be an obedient child. 
The American Psychology Association in a recent survey this year found that the average reported stress level of Americans was on five point, was at a 5.6 from a scale of one to 10. This is the average. Uh, one being little to no stress, 10 means a great, great deal of stress. And that's higher than the previously reported numbers. And it's no surprise, um, 84% of adults reported feeling at least one emotion associated with prolonged stress in the prior two weeks of this survey. And the most common feelings were anxiety of 47%, uh, 44% of people felt sadness, 39% felt anger. Additionally, two in three adults, 67%, said the number of issues in America uh, right now is overwhelming to them. We are definitely a people who are prone to worry. Sometimes we find stuff to worry about. Like, everything's good, and then we, like, find something to complain about, right? And then sometimes you need, like, somebody in your life that's a little more holy than you, and they're like, man, you're being a baby. Like, things are fine. Be, be grateful. But, you know, there's something contagious about being around optimistic people. And I would like to think that Jesus was probably a pretty optimistic guy. Like, he had a lot of things that he could have complained about. Right? Like, Maybe like everywhere he went, large groups of people following him. I don't know about you, but that would get me a little annoyed. Like, can you imagine? You're like, I'm just trying to eat lunch. And people are like, Jesus, Jesus. And you're like, the disciples, you know, the disciples were getting annoyed for him. Get those children out of here. Oh, no, bring the children. (laughs) Of course. Right? Like, they were getting annoyed, and they weren't even doing what Jesus was doing. There's a scene in The Chosen. We've been watching The Chosen. How many of you watching The Chosen? It's really well done. It's good. They take some creative license with dialogue and stuff, but the, the meat is there. It's very well done. And there's a scene that really struck me. Every time I watch it, it's like I end up in tears, and it's so good. But there's this particular scene. The disciples, it's a scene where Jesus is being the brought, he, the people who are sick and in need of healing, they're just bringing them by the dozens to Jesus. And for like 14 hours, Jesus is healing people in the middle of this field. And the disciples are back at the camp in the show, and there's some creative license here, but the, the point remains, this, we see this with the disciples in scripture. And they're fighting amongst each other about their past sins, and arguing about who's better than the other. And Jesus is out in the field doing ministry, healing people, and he comes back and he's physically exhausted. And this, I love this picture, because this really hits on the idea that Jesus was human. Like, that's going to be so key in our text this morning, that he endured being tired. He knew what it was like to be physically exhausted, to be thirsty, to be hungry, to be weak. And as he comes back from healing all these people, the disciples are arguing, and they're beginning to shout at each other, and Jesus walks by, and he's got blood on him, and he's been healing people and sick. Uh, people with leprosy have been coming to him, open sores and wounds, and Jesus has been dealing with all of it and healing people. And as he comes back, all he can say is, Good night. And he goes into his tent. And all the disciples have a real humbling moment, don't they? If you've seen the scene, you know what I'm talking about. And they're all kind of just like, man, what are we doing? Arguing about who's greater. Unfortunately, the disciples were humans, and they would even do this uh, a lot more in the future. It didn't stop. So I find comfort in the fact that the disciples themselves were being a little dumb. So when I'm a little dumb, I just say, well, so were the disciples, so it's okay. <laughs> I heard Alistair Begg talking on this subject, and he said, you know, 
just pointing out different characteristics of the disciples. And, and he said, you know, G- Jesus at one point had to just turn to them and say, how many stupid questions can you guys ask? I've explained this 13 times, you know. But Jesus was so patient with them. If you turn back a little bit, this gives us our setting of our text this morning. This is in the famous Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at 4.23, Matthew 4.23, turn your page back just a little bit, you'll see the historical setting that we're in. There's a lot of red letters here. If your Bible's like that, Jesus is speaking a lot. But in 4.23, we get a little bit of an idea of where we're at. It says, and he went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the, uh, of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, and those having seizures and paralytics, and they healed them. Um, And then it says in 25, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And then if you skip to Matthew 5 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he began to teach. And in this sermon, as you kind of flip through, you can see different categories that our uh, modern-day Bible breaks down for us. And Jesus covers a lot of stuff here. This is a great sermon. He covers the Beatitudes, which are your blessings and also strong warnings. He says that we're to be salt and light in the earth. We're to be um, that Christ came to fulfill the law. He talks about anger, lust, divorce, oaths, re- uh, revenge, loving our enemies, giving to the needy, how to pray, fasting, And that we ought to lay up treasures not on earth, but rather in heaven. That we can't serve two masters or we'll despise one and hate the other. And then he says we can't serve God and money. I think it's it's conveniently and perfectly placed that Jesus talks about money right before he talks about anxiety. I think he did that on purpose. And I think that people are so consumed with where their money will go or where they will get their next paycheck. And it becomes something that really can define people. In fact, why do you guys know who Warren Buffett is? Probably because he's like one of the richest people ever. And, you know, there's all these names that we know and we associate, and really the only thing I know about Bill Gates is that he's like really rich. I remember one time I read a statistic that if Bill Gates was walking down the road and he saw a $100 bill on the floor, it wouldn't be worth his time to lean over and pick it up because in the time it would take him to lean over and pick up that $100 bill, he would have already made 10 times that amount of money. And I was like, wow. I read a quote from uh, somebody, it was on Instagram, and they said, I'm looking forward to the day when I'm well off enough that every time there's a free couch on the side of the road, I don't slow down to just take a peek. (laughs) And the other day, there was a couch on the side of the road, and my wife and I were like, not bad. Oh, there's some boogers in there, it's fine. But we worry about things, and most of the time they're material things. We covet things that other people have. For me, it's a 2021, now they're coming out with a six-gen forerunner. Come on. That thing is sweet. And then you look at the price tag, and you're like, uh, absolutely not. Not in a million years would I pay that for a car. But if someone wants to buy it for me, that's fine. <laughs> but we worry about things, and we want things. And money oftentimes corrupts us. In fact, Scripture says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so we need to be careful where our priorities are. Nearly 365 times, one time for every day of the year, the Bible repeats, do not fear or fear not as a phrase. We are a fearful people by nature. So much so that God constantly has to remind us as his children not to be afraid. We are naturally inclined 
to be anxious, to worry about what will be next. If you look at verse 25 with me, the beginning of our section this morning, it says, do not be worried about your life. This word in the Greek, Jesus spoke Aramaic, but in the Greek translation, it would be metanao. And this is to be pulled in, the transliteration would be to be pulled in different directions. Jesus uses the same word when he says, Don't, you can't serve God and money. So it's this idea of being pulled in different directions. You can't do both for you'll love one and hate the other. And so the word has this idea that if we're to serve Jesus, we can't try to serve other things too, like people's opinions about us and being politically correct and pleasing everybody around us. I can't serve people and God. Now, I can serve people in a way that honors God, but I can't please man from a human perspective and also please my heavenly father. I have to have my priorities in order. Jesus goes straight from my heart when he says, don't worry about what you will eat. For me, that's a struggle. I always worry about what I'm gonna eat. Not so much where the food's gonna come from, but what drive through I'm gonna go in, <laughs> right? And some of us, that's like actually a thing. We think about food way too much. But the people that Jesus are talking to quite literally may not have known where their next meal was coming from. There were people in the audience as he's speaking that would have had tattered garments and clothes and would have wondered if they were going to be able to get work to be able to buy themselves more clothes so that they could replace the ones that were destroyed. And I don't know about you, but if I look around this room, I would venture to say that most of us in this room are living pretty comfortable lives. We're pretty blessed. And we have a lot of things to be thankful for. And even in the low moments for my wife and I over the years of uh, financial struggles, we've seen God provide. And even if he had not provided, he would have still been good. Because it's not dependent on my circumstances as to whether or not my heavenly father provides for me. Because we equate God's provision with earthly gain. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying the complete opposite. He's saying don't be consumed by the things that you have, by where your food will come from, by the clothes that you will wear. Some of you, maybe it's the ladies, I don't know, spend way too much time thinking about what you're gonna wear. Like way too much time. Like you're late to church every week time. <laughs> and I see you walking in the back door. Yeah, you look great. But you miss worship. Was it worth it? No. That's it on that. <laughs> so I think we need to be careful what we put our priorities in. Where do we prioritize our time? And like I said, it's likely that some of this original audience really was struggling just to know where their next meal would come from. Many of them were day laborers and wouldn't even know if they had work tomorrow to put food on the table for their family. God's blessing does not always mean worldly com comfort and his provision can sometimes involve lacking things that we think we need. The prosperity gospel is so dangerous. And teachers that refuse to speak on suffering are doing a disservice to the body of Christ. And I've heard Bill Johnson out of his own mouth from Bethel say that he refuses to teach in a God that allows his people to suffer. And for me, that's a problem. And I think that's contrary to scripture. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful who we listen to. I have a lot of respect for a lot of guys. I even think Bethel does a lot of good. But that's a concerning statement from a pastor. Because if God is 
only whittled down to us as a healer and a provider, we are not seeing the whole picture. He is more than just a healer. He is more than just a provider of our needs. He's the God of the universe. And you guys, even if he gave us nothing, nothing but the cross, it would be more than I deserve. And so I think... We need to see things the right way. I just wrote a song that we're now recording, and it's called More Than I Deserve, and it's this same idea. And the lyrics of the chorus just say that if, if I was only to see your grace and nothing else, it'd be more than I deserve. If my whole life was meant for just one thing, to bring all glory and honor to your name, it would be more than I deserve. It would be more than I deserve. It is more than I deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve to die because of my sins. And here's my, my problem with saying that God doesn't allow his people to suffer. Then how do you explain Stephen? As a young man who preaches the gospel in the public square and is murdered for what he says. That is somebody who put the kingdom of God first and died because of it. In fact, to be a Christian is to be a Christ follower. And the guy that you are following was murdered brutally for what he taught. We need, to get our, we need to get our heads on straight. We need to have proper vision when we view our Christianity. And honestly, guys, in our Western culture, we're really comfortable. We're really comfortable. I went to Cambodia, and we went to a small village on an island in Cambodia. And when we went there, these people are the happiest people I've ever met, and they have nothing. Like, nothing. Like, dude fully naked on the side of the road, showering with a bucket of water from the river, and we're going by on a 10-horsepower dune buggy pulling a cart of 15 adults. And we all have white skin, so they're looking at us like, you know, we're from Mars. And, like, we're driving by, and this guy's fully nude, just like, <laughs> so content with his life. He does not even care. He knows he's never going to see us again. And even if he did, he wouldn't care. And sometimes people who have the least among us are the happiest. That's sad. That's sad. But I think that what happens is our possessions and the things that we seek after on this earth, storing up our treasure on earth, can distract us from the things of the kingdom of God. And they, don't, they are not the first things in our life anymore, the things of Christ, because we're so consumed with our stuff. And you've heard it said many times, you don't see a U-Haul behind a hearst. When you die, your stuff goes to somebody else. I got a lot of cool guitars. And they're going to be somebody else's someday. Nick's got a lot of cool guitars. And if he goes before me, I hope he puts in, my, in his will that they're mine. <laughs> but you don't take anything with you after this life, guys. So what are you living for today? Anxiety weighs us down. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Warren Wiersbe says, Jesus said that worry is sin. We may dignify worry by calling it some other name, concern, burden, a cross to bear, but the results are the same in the end. Now, there's a difference between bearing somebody else's burdens and fulfilling the command that Christ has given us to do that and worrying and being afraid. Because you say, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think worry is sin. Well, what is worry? It's not trusting God. 
If I truly trust God, I don't have to worry. Think about it like this. When you're a child, your father and your mother provide for you. If they're good parents, they provide for you. When you're a child, you probably didn't really worry so much about if mom and dad were going to take care of you. If you had good parents, they just took care of you. And many of us probably took it for granted. Because then you become an adult and you realize life's kind of hard. And you got to work for that money. And sometimes what happens is we take things that God has already given us for granted. And our, our worry is rooted in a, a lack of what we call a necessity that's something God doesn't feel that we even need. And so we need to be careful the things that we worry about. The Robin and the Sparrow, which is a poem from the poet Elizabeth Cheney, says this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And if you think about that perspective, if there was a fly on the wall watching you on your day-to-day life, would they have any idea that you're a Christian? If we took a video camera and we put it in your living room at home, and every Sunday we, we featured a new family. <laughs> Man, it would be bad. This week, the Lance family. You know, I won't even go there. This week, Pastor Shane. I'm screaming at my dogs, you know, what are you doing? No patience. Because we worry about things that we ought not to worry about. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I was teaching in 1 John chapter 3 a few Wednesdays ago. And John talks about the idea that we are adopted into the family of God. We're adopted into his family. Well, what does that mean? That means I'm a child of God. And that means that the closer I get to my father, the more I'll begin to resemble him. We all carry traits from our parents. Some good, some bad. Some of you are like the ladies. You get older and you're like, I'm just like my mother. No. You know, some of the guys are like, I swore I'd never be like my father. And then you're just like him. You're turning into a grumpy old man, and you're like, it's happening. But then there's good traits that we get from our parents too, right? There's good things that we inherit from our parents. And you start to see as both reach adulthood, and if you're blessed enough to have your parents around while you're an adult, you start to see, like, I am a lot like my dad in this area. Sometimes I answer the phone. When I was a kid, I was going through, like, you know, teenage years. My voice is getting a little deeper. I'd answer the phone. Like, my dad's driving. You know, he's got the old flip phone. It's illegal to talk on the phone back when people actually listened to that rule while they were driving. And, um, you know, my dad would be like, Shane, answer the phone. And I'd be like, hello, Pastor Michael. And before I can say, Pastor Michael's cell phone, this is his son, Shane, they're like, hey, Pastor Michael, it's really bad. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, like, don't tell me. (laughs) But people tell us that we sound similar on the phone. And you inherit traits from your, your earthly father and your earthly mother. And in the same way, when you are a child of God, you should be inheriting traits from your heavenly father. And your heavenly father doesn't worry about anything. He holds time itself in his hands. Nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing. 
I want to be more like my heavenly father in that way, that I am a person who has peace, and it's because of him. It's because he has everything under control. It's really about proper vision. It's about having proper vision. By what lens do you view life? Do I see things through the eyes of Jesus or do I see things through the eyes of the world? And I think many Christians have a prescription problem. I started wearing glasses when I was in third grade. I remember it clear as day. Uh, It was slightly blurry. But I went into third grade class and... uh, Here's the class, and I sit in the middle of the classroom, and the teacher starts writing on the whiteboard, and her name was Mrs. Anderson. Mrs. Anderson was a little mean, a little scary. You know, you're third grade, and you're like, yeah, she's a little scary. I remember one time I stood up, and I sharpened my pencil. I said, Mrs. Anderson, can I sharpen my pencil? And she said, yes. Then I go, and it was the 90s, so the sharpening pencil thing, it's like got a crank on it, no electric stuff, you kids, right? Turning into my father. And uh, I'm sharpening my pencil, and she says, Mr. Lance. What are you doing? I think she was ready to retire at this point. And I was like, I'm sharpening my pencil. And she was like, sit down. You do not have permission to sharpen your pencil. And I was like, I, okay, all right. <laughs> this is a losing battle. But I remember she wrote on the whiteboard the first day of class. And I said, I can't see that. So I moved to the front row. I still can't see that. Turns out, after a little investigation and a doctor appointment, I have astigmatism. And as you grow, your astigmatism can get progressively worse, which is what has happened to me. If I was to take my third grade pair of first glasses, and I was a kid playing baseball that had like the strap to keep my glasses on. My parents did that to me, yeah. And uh, (laughs) they got me contacts eventually and saved me. Uh, I lost all popularity. I wasn't popular anyway. and, but if I was to take those glasses, they're scratched up, they're all yellowed, the lenses were plastic, they're no good anymore, they're too small for my face, and put them on and expect to have great vision, you would say, I'm crazy. But I think that we do that. We have an old way of seeing things, an old prescription that we once used to see the world through, and now God has given us new vision and a new heart, and we still try to put on the old lenses to see things, and we're like, why is it blurry? Because your prescription is extremely outdated and belonged to the old man. You know, the scripture says in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, but this is not the way you came to know Christ. Surely you heard of him and you were taught in him in keeping with the truth that is in Jesus to put off your former way of life, your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, one of them being worry and anxiety, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And some of us are still wearing our third grade blurry, scratched up glasses. And we need to put on the new man. And we need to say, I'm going to see things the way that Christ sees them. There's an old song from Hillsong United called Hosanna. Many of you know it. And the bridge of the song says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Great lyrics. But it's got to be more than a song we sing every once in a while. I want to be so tethered to God's heart that my heart breaks for the things that would break his. That I would see things the way that he sees them. Even in suffering, I would believe that my God is still faithful. If you are suffering right now and going through a hardship, God has not abandoned you. 
In fact, the scripture says that even what the enemy means for evil, he will use for good. Somebody that I know personally left a nasty Yelp review on our church page, attacked me and my family. You know something? As a result, multiple people have come to this church because they read the review and said, yeah. And they read the review and said, that sounds like a solid expositing the Bible teaching church. I think I'll go there. So God works all things together for good. Things that are only evil in their intent, God can use for good. Pastor Chris Van Hook said to me one time, um, when I first started leading worship, I was changing the way we did some things at the church, and I got a fair amount of flack for it. And Chris said, even if somebody comes to you, and this is words that from Pastor Chris I will not forget. He said, even if somebody comes to you, Shane, and their only intention is to hurt you with their words, there, still be may, there may still be a lesson God wants to teach you through them. And I was like, I do not receive that. <laughs> you know? But it's true. Even when somebody has nothing but harm in mind, God can use it for good. And that's wild to me. Jesus is speaking to a normal group of people, people who are worried about their future, dealing with, think about the lack of modern medicine and technology, people who are dying in their family who they, they don't know what to do next. They don't know if their father will be around tomorrow. They don't know if they're gonna have a meal tomorrow. They don't know if they have work tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, don't be anxious for anything. Anxiety separates us from God. It distracts us from the things of his kingdom. The Westminster Short Catechism written in the 1600s says this, and many of us probably know this little excerpt. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Beautifully put. But anxiety and fear, first, they're not from God. He's not the author of anything bad. He cannot. It is against his nature to author anything bad. Pretty crazy. There is no sin in him at all. It is against his nature. Have you ever thought about this? Satan can only do harm. There is no light in him. They are complete opposites. Satan cannot produce life. He can only produce death. And he answers to God. And in these struggles that we face mentally, mental illness is on the rise. And some of you in this room this morning really deal with chronic depression. I have had seasons in my life where I have gone through depression. I was extremely bullied as a kid. And my childhood was something that I would not wish on any kid in the sense that when I went to school, I was often the butt of every joke. I know what it's like to be down, to feel depressed, to feel like you're an outcast. But I will tell you that when you're at your lowest point, you are closest to our Messiah, who was brought to his own and rejected by his own. People who stirred up lies about him so that he could be convicted of crimes that he did not commit. Crucified on a cross that he did not deserve. And I heard um, a, a commentator say that oftentimes we are still crucifying ourselves between two sinners. 
putting ourselves on a cross that Jesus has already bore for us. And sometimes the root of our depression and our, and our struggle mentally is our own shortcomings. I had a brother come up to me after the first service and say, sometimes what I worry about is whether or not I'm in line with God's vision. And I said to him, well, be close to the Father. The scripture says he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we would love to take that verse and say, so everything I want, God will give me. But that's not what it means. See, what happens is, as you get closer to the Father, your desires become his desires. Therefore, he is going to carry out your desires because they're his desires. Because you are closer to your Father. You are knowing him more and more. You're being sanctified, made more holy. And so all of a sudden, the things of the flesh and the things that you used to want to do, you no longer desire, and you desire the things of the Spirit. And that's the way that God works in our lives as he sanctifies us. But humility is key. We're called to be a people who are humble. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Notice that it's according to his timing. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, watchful. Your, adversity, uh, your adversary, the devil, what? He prowls like a lion seeking to give you a nice kiss? No. He wants to do what? He wants to devour you. Satan hates you. Get that in your head, church. If you bear the name of Jesus, he hates you. And he would love to destroy you. And if he can have victory in the area of anxiety and fear and worry, he will do it. By whatever means necessary, he will seek to devour you. But God has already overcome. Jesus says, hold on, for I have already overcome the world. So we lean into our heavenly Father. I want to point out something key if we go back to that passage in 1 Peter what is the first thing that Peter says to do? Humble yourselves. It is no coincidence that humility comes before the casting. If I want to realize, if I want to cast my cares on God, I first have to understand and realize that I can't carry the load. If I think I can carry it and in my pride say, I got this one, God, then I'm not casting my cares on him. And the word in the original language is like a child who comes home from school on a Friday. No homework, unless the teachers are just plain mean. And the kid comes home and he just chucks the backpack across the room. That's the idea of casting your cares on the Lord. Like, that's not mine till Monday. And hopefully with your cares, never again. But it's that picture of a child who comes home and says, or maybe for you it's a briefcase. Some of you guys carry a briefcase. For me, it's two guitars, a pedal board, an amp, a backpack, my laptop. My wife hates going anywhere with me where I have to take all my gear because it's ridiculous how much stuff I take. I have a mobile recording setup. I gotta take everywhere because you never know, right? I'm a prepper, so I gotta take stuff everywhere I go because you just never know. I'm not worried about it so much. I'm just like planning. And that's something I wanna point out. There's nothing wrong with being prepared. This is not about preparation and planning ahead. This is about worrying about the future. I can be prepared and make good decisions. In fact, the Bible says that when it comes to your money, you need to make good decisions that honor God. You honor him with your finances. You're not careless. You don't not have a budget and spend all your money and every, every pay period you're waiting on a miracle for God to come through. 
I feel like God's trying to teach you a lesson if you're always running out of money. You probably need a tighter budget. So there's nothing wrong with being planned and preparing. But there is something about worrying that God says it's not of him. It's not from him. And worrying is actually a sin in that it is not trusting our God. But it is no coincidence that humility comes before we cast our cares. No coincidence. We have to realize that we cannot do it and the first step in freedom is surrender. That is the opposite of what our world, world teaches. The world teaches to put me first, right? It's all about what I want, what I can get. You make a business deal, what are they worried about? What they can get out of it. It's rare that you will come across an interaction in this world where somebody has no ulterior motives whatsoever. But Jesus says, come to me, all who are burdened, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's no hidden agenda. There's no strings attached. He says, my children can come to me and find rest because I care for them. Peter says, humble yourselves, casting all your cares on him. And in verse 30, Jesus says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. This is a picture of, in this particular region where Jesus is right now, it was hard to come by dry timber to burn for fires, to cook food, to prepare other meals. And so oftentimes people would burn flowers of the field and grass to fuel their fire. And Jesus draws this analogy and he says, just as they're thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? And then what does he say? You of little faith. Hmm. That one hurts a little. Because I think a lot of times when we think about our worry, we justify it in a lot of different ways, right? Well, I'm just really concerned. Cool, but are you trusting God through that concern? Or are you just like worried for the sake of worrying? Because Jesus says that when you do that, you're lacking faith. And I don't think we like that. But it's a challenge to us 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. That means that when Jesus hasn't provided what we want him to provide yet, he's still good. And I continue to put my faith in him. Continue reading in Matthew 6, 31. Do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat or what are we to drink or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, yet your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first, this is a key verse of our passage this morning, the kingdom of God. See, when I begin to put the kingdom of God first, my problems fade into the background. When I start putting other people first, my problems are not what I'm hyper-focused on anymore. Some of us and some of you in this room this morning are walking around like this, focused on your problems. You're so concerned about your problems that everything else in your life has faded into the background. Whereas in sharp contrast, Jesus was worried about everybody else first. Everywhere he went, when he was tired, when he was exhausted, when he was hungry, he still looked for people in need. The woman at the well, he goes out of his way and breaks cultural norms and bounds and goes through Samaria just to meet one person. Because he put other people first. 
and a divine appointment happens, and that woman goes and shares that she's been saved and that the Messiah is here. And the whole way there, the disciples are probably thinking, what are we doing in Samaria? But that is who we serve. That's the God that we serve. That's who Jesus is. He went out of his way for the one woman who was outcast from her society, knowing that she would be there to draw water at high noon because it wasn't acceptable for her to be with the other women. And she go, he goes out of his way to meet her because that's the God that we serve. Jesus will meet you right where you're at this morning. In the midst of your doubts and your worries and your fears, he wants to meet you right where you're at, but you have to humble yourself and cast your cares on him. You have to say, God, I cannot do this. Every time I try, I fall flat on my face. I golfed one time with a friend of mine named Andy. Andy is not a golfer. And I knew Andy was not a golfer from the first tee box. Uh, I'm not much of a golfer, which is why I don't go very often. I don't golf as much as some of the pastors around here. Um, <laughs> but, and, and there's reason, it's too expensive for me to not have any fun, okay? That's what I, usually by like the sixth hole, I'm like, I paid way too much money to be angry. <laughs> I am not having any fun. I can hit the ball 360 yards, man. I can crush the thing, and it will never be where I want it to be. It will always be in the other fairway. I love the wide open ranges where it's like, man, if I miss the fairway, there's another fairway over there. I can just hit from over there. I'm gonna just crank this thing. I have no control. You know, my brother and I joke all the time, just a nice, easy practice swing, and then the real thing, you know, no control. You know, you get up there like, you don't have to hit it hard, Shane. I'm like, no, I know, I know. I don't have to hit it hard. You know, and then it's like, what are you doing? You don't have to kill it. But I was golfing with Andy, and by like the fifth hole, I was like, this is going to be a long day. And it got to the point where Andy was putting and missing and being like, hey, pass me that ball. He's from New York. So it's like, pass me that ball. And I was like, dude, no, that's not how it works. He said, just pass me the ball. He's re-putting like eight times. Sometimes I think that we look like Andy putting on the golf course. God is like, are you going to try again on your own? And we're like, no, I got it this time. I, 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 I'm serious. I got it. Like the, the, they're on the boat with Jesus, and they're like, we're drowning like right now. I don't know if you knew, but we're drowning. Like I know you're God, and you command the seas, but like we're drowning and I know you're napping, but like maybe, and Jesus is like, be calm. And the seas are like, Pfft. and they're like, oh yeah, he's God. <laughs> and it is so important that Jesus is God. You realize that when, when a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon comes to your door, there's something that really makes a big difference between you and them. And it's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh that is what makes you a Christian this morning, is that you believe that Christ Jesus is God, God in flesh. And if he is not, it changes everything. You and I don't have hope if Jesus is not God. Mormonism teaches that Jesus is my older brother. I don't need an older brother. I need a savior. And I need somebody that paid for my sins on the cross and was the full, complete atonement. One time it is finished. That's what I need. And if that is not who Jesus is, I don't know why any of us are here. Because I got things to do. We got a baby shower next weekend and I got a yard to clean. And all my neighbors clean their yards on Sundays. So, man, I'm not going to be here if Jesus is not God. 
But here's the thing, guys. Jesus is God in flesh. And Jesus knew what it was to suffer, to feel emotions, to, to feel hungry, to feel tired, exhausted, weak, and to have to rely on his heavenly Father. Because he humbled himself and took on the flesh of a man. And this is so key for our passage this morning because you have a God who can sympathize and empathize with your weaknesses. When you are struggling with your mental health this morning, some of you are struggling with depression, some of you are overwhelmed right now by a circumstance that you are facing. And you have a God who knows Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow at the tomb of Lazarus. He suffered more than any man has ever suffered. I've heard it said that it's just as dangerous to question the divinity of Jesus as it is to question the legitimacy of his humanity. Because if Jesus is not human, then he doesn't know what it's like for me. But he was human, and that changes everything. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we now are. Yet he did not sin. That's what makes him perfect. That's why he's the full atonement of the cross. Because he was able to face every temptation that you and I will face, yet he did not succumb to them. Because he was completely dependent on his heavenly father. When you and I are facing fear, if you want to overcome your fear and your worry, lean into your heavenly father. That is the cure to anxiety. If you are overwhelmed this morning, lean into your heavenly father. A beautiful picture of John who laid his head on Jesus' chest. And there was this closeness, this relationship, almost like a familial connection. Almost like you would go to your earthly father as a child and hopefully in a healthy relationship you could lay your head on your father's chest and know that there was safety and security in his arms. In the same way, that is who God is for you this morning. But it takes first humility. And I think that's the biggest hurdle for us. Pride is at the root of so much of our sin. And oftentimes at the root of our worry. Because sometimes we think if we were flying the plane, it would be smoother. And then you get put in the cockpit and you're like, I don't even know what any of these buttons do. And sometimes as humans, we act as if we were flying the plane, if you will. If we were God, we would do things differently, like we know better. But he knows your pain. People throughout the Old and New Testament, and even to this day, go to great extents to get the attention of their so-called fabricated gods in, a lot, in the story with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the prophets before Baal are going so far that they are mutilating and cutting their own flesh to try to get Baal's attention. And Elijah watches this happen. And I'm sure there was a part of Elijah that was like, wow, this is really pathetic. They think that there's a God that's going to answer their cry. And he even goes as far as to say, maybe your God's using the restroom. And a little bit of comedic relief. Maybe, maybe he's preoccupied. But they went to such extreme measures to try to get God's attention. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you are trying to do all the right things and say all the right words and be the right person to be accepted by the Heavenly Father. And yet the Bible says that your, your good deeds are like filthy rags before him. That's nice. Right? Because he wants your heart. That's what he wants. He wants all your cares, all your concerns. The cure for anxiety is knowing 
our Heavenly Father. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for what? Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace, this is so key, if you hear nothing else this morning, when we take our anxieties to God, a promise in Philippians says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, that means that it doesn't necessarily make sense in the midst of your circumstance. Like, it may not make any sense to have peace from a human perspective, but you can have it. Because the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You weren't created to worry. You weren't created for it. Worry and anxiety is a result of sin. God's plan, in the beginning, there was nothing to worry about. It was perfect. But we did what we do best and messed it all up. We weren't designed to worry. There's three key words I want to point out this morning. Three, this sounds bad, but three F words. <laughs> That's what it is. We have faith. Three keys. Faith in the God we serve. A heavenly father who cares. And we put his kingdom first. The cure to anxiety is putting faith in Jesus, trusting that he's our heavenly father who knows our needs, and putting his kingdom first. That's the cure. And I'm not saying that there are not going to be situations where medicine is not necessary. There may be times where medicine is necessary to help somebody's mental state. But the ultimate cure will not be found on this earth. The ultimate cure for our anxieties and our worries and our fears is in the person and nature of Jesus Christ. That is where we run to for refuge, for strength, for peace that surpasses understanding. Jesus says as he closes this thought, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. That sounds really nice, right? But then when we all leave here, all of the stuff that we just heard can have a tendency to go in one ear and out the other. And all of a sudden, all of the worries and the things that you brought in here start to fade back into the picture. I had a guy come up to me. I don't even know his name. He's new to our church. He came to first service, and he came to me in tears after the first service. Praise God Almighty for this. And he said, I came in here so overwhelmed by something I'm going through, and I feel such a peace as I'm leaving. And my prayer is that that would not fade away 10 steps out the door but that it would be something that can last because it's in a God who is forever. Because if I put my faith in something, you know, it's been said many times, your faith is as valuable as the thing in which it is placed. If I place my faith in politics, some of you need to hear this this morning. If I place my faith in who's governor of California, I'm going to be disappointed all the time, even if it's Larry Elder. <laughs> even if. Even if it's Newsom, I can't put my hope in people because people stink. <laughs> Newsflash, CNN reporting, update, people still stink. That should be the header because that's essentially a summation of what is going on right now. We make a mess of everything all the time. 
Because we try to do things in our own strength. We try to do things according to our own power and our own will. And we think we've got it all together. Does this message this morning conclude that when you become a Christian, your life's going to be fine now and you're always going to have peace and never have any worries? No. In fact, I would venture to say that the Apostle Paul, while he was being beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned and tortured, probably had some fears and some worry. Oftentimes, pinning our New Testament epistles from jail cells, not knowing literally where his next meal would come from. You guys realize that in first century Rome, when you got put in prison, there was no rations. Like, you didn't get prison food. Like, you were dependent on people outside of prison to provide for you. So first, they had to know that you were in prison. That's why in, like, 2 Timothy, Paul says, uh, I forget the guy's name, that he says, say thank you to this guy because he brought me a blanket when I was cold and brought me food when I was hungry. Like, he was dependent on people outside of the prison oftentimes to even provide a meal for him. They would let you starve in there. You want to talk about a reason to worry? That guy had a lot of reasons to worry. And yet, he's the one who writes that God can give you a peace that surpasses understanding. As he was living it in his life, Paul and Silas chained in prison. What did they do? They sang. They sang after being beaten and put in chains as the worship team comes on out. They did what? They sang. Now, I, I don't ever want to always use this as uh, my plug for music ministry. But I will tell you this. There's freedom when we lift our voice to God. As good or as bad of a singer as you may be. He doesn't want your perfect pitched voice he wants your heart. And some of you are so concerned about what you're going to wear that you miss worship all the time. And I'm not keeping score, but I can see you. And some of you right now are like, I want to get there first on the wait list at the restaurant, so I'm going to leave. And I'm going to challenge you to stay. And here's why. The Bible actually commands us to lift our voices to God. And if Paul and Silas can be beaten and tortured and then put in chains and still worship Jesus through their voice, I think we can handle it this morning. And here's what I think. There's a lot going on in our world right now. And I want to make it clear that I have not arrived in this area. I told my wife as I was finishing my sermon the other day, I'm a little anxious about my sermon on anxiety. <laughs> and, you know, here's why. As I was finishing my notes last night, I started thinking about all the people that I know that are struggling. All the people that I know that are really struggling with mental illness. And they're, they're really battling like issues of self-worth and struggling to believe that they're even worth existing. Our highest suicide rate right now, you guys, is in our 10 and 12-year-olds. Children are being told that they have no value because we've removed God from the equation. And if you remove God from the equation, what is your life? You have no purpose. But if God has ordained from the beginning of the time before, before you were knit together in your mother's womb, he had a purpose for you and he knew you, that changes everything. And so we need our children to know that they have a God-given purpose. I want my daughter to know the day that she's born that Jesus has a purpose for her life. That is where we find fulfillment and self-worth. 
And I felt the weight of this message this morning as I was coming into church of how many people are struggling right now just to believe that they are worth something. Your worth is found in Jesus. And you can try to find it in everything else that the world has to offer and you will continue to be disappointed. Suicide rates are at an all-time high right now. People need more of Jesus. And you could be the vessel that someone, that God uses to bring someone Christ. And sometimes we go to the store and we do this. Hey, how you doing? And before the person can even answer, we're like, <laughs> right? That is like the most disingenuine thing. And it's like normal American culture. How's it going? And with no intention to actually find out how somebody's doing. Pastor Matthew does this very well. He often says, hey, how you doing? And you gotta be ready, because it's gonna be a conversation. And he'll say, how you doing? I'll say, I'm good, Matt. And I live with the guy, okay? And he'll be like, well, why are you good? And I'm like, why you gotta do that, man? (laughs) (laughs) But it's a genuine care. Like, I see the heart of Jesus in Pastor Matthew in that way. Like, he doesn't just wanna know if I'm good or not. He wants to know why I'm good or why I'm not good. And can you imagine if you went to the grocery store and next time you asked the cashier how they were doing, you actually asked them, like, why? Like, why are you good? Or why are you not good? Ministry can happen right there. And you can bring hope to somebody who has no hope just by being available. And that was something that I kept being reminded of as I was studying this. Jesus made himself available. Some of y'all need to get off Instagram. Some of y'all, when you go on a date with your wife or your spouse, You need to stop being on your phone the entirety of your meal. You need to let work be work and let your wife be your first priority after Christ. We need to be available. We need to be present people. And I think that, this is the last thing I'll say, pastors, last thing I'll say, last thing I'll say. If we go, I think this is a breeding ground for anxiety. If everywhere I go, I have to put on a mask. I come to church, I gotta be Pastor Shane. I gotta be Music Director Shane. I go and I play at another church, I gotta be Guest Worship Leader Shane. I go to my house and I gotta be Husband Shane. And then I go over here and I gotta be Work Shane. And I go over here and I gotta be this and that and the other. And I'm never actually like myself. I'm always putting on like a form of me and a facade. Some of you do that every time you show up here. You're fighting with your spouse the whole way here and then you walk in church, you're like, hi Barb, how are you? I'm great, so good. Oh, life's great. I almost killed the kids on the way here. It's fine. (laughs) If we would stop putting on the masks everywhere we go, and we all do it. If you don't think you do it, you probably do it worse than you realize. It's refreshing to come across people in this life that are honest. My wife and I, we went to the store one time, and an item in our cart didn't get scanned. It was a self-checkout thing. They make it way too easy to steal stuff. You're stealing stuff by accident. And I, like, didn't scan something, and I left, and I was, it was, like, a bottle of, like, I don't know, wine. We were going to cook chicken or something. I, oh, I forgot to scan this. And it was, like, a $15 bottle. So I go back in, and the cashier was, like, confused why I came back. She was, like, you came back to pay for it? Why? Because uh, c- I stole it? <laughs> and that's, like, against the law? People are caught off guard by genuine transparency. And honestly, it should be a mark on our life as Christians. Jesus was a pretty transparent guy. And I appreciate that. So today, you have an opportunity right now. We have a family event for the kids that's about to happen. You have an opportunity to come forward and get prayer. 
and you can be, you can take off the mask this morning. You can come talk to a pastor or a church leader and say, hey, uh, newsflash, I don't have it all together. I'm human, and I need prayer in this area because I'm really struggling. And there is freedom in that. There's freedom in admitting I don't have it all together. And as we close this morning, there's one family, the Marquez family that's sitting with us this morning, who Vianney's father and Vianney's mother is here. Husband, dad, Sergio is in the hospital and has been for some time with uh, pneumonia. And the updates have come in, sometimes good, sometimes worse, and it's been a roller coaster. And my heart breaks for what you guys are going through. And I know that every day is uncertain right now. Every moment is uncertain. So I want to pray for Sergio. And I know that there are many other names that I might not know right now, but your Heavenly Father knows. And if you need prayer for something, please come forward and get prayer after the service. Don't let pride get in the way. So this morning, let's pray before we sing together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that um, in all the different situations that are going on, Lord, you would be working. We know that you're working. We would be a people who trust our Heavenly Father, that have peace that surpasses understanding. And I pray for um, VNA's family. For Sergio, Lord, we lift him up in the name of Jesus as the body of Christ. We believe that you can heal. Um, you are more than capable of healing. But sometimes, God, your plan is different than the one we would map out. And so we yield to your will, but we are a people who ask in faith for healing this morning. These are tough situations to navigate. Sometimes it's hard to even know how to pray. But we believe in your power and we believe in who you are. And so we do ask for healing in the name of Jesus. And I pray that we would not pray for uh, Sergio just now, but that we would be a people that leave here and continue to pray for him and his family. I pray that you would clothe them with a peace that surpasses understanding now. And I pray that you would be the God who reigns over all our worries, all our fears, all our anxiousness, and that we would say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm gonna walk in it. For the soul this morning that's wayward, for somebody who has claimed to be a Christian but their life has not reflected it, that today would be the day that they, find, they, they finally put their foot down and say, I'm going to walk in the ways of Christ. I'm not gonna be afraid anymore. I'm gonna count the cost. I'm gonna follow after Jesus no matter what it costs me. Lord, for people in Afghanistan right now who have bore the name of Christ and are being tortured for it, I pray that you give them strength. Lord, I pray for a miracle. I pray for confusion over the Taliban armies. I pray that people who are out to do harm, Lord, that they would be silenced. And thank you, God, that ultimately vengeance is yours. And a day will come when you make all things new that evil men will answer for their evil deeds. But we also pray for those men's hearts. That God, you would be transforming them, that you would get their attention, that they would put down their weapons and that peace would rule over this land. We pray for revival, God. We pray for revival. But if your plan is different and the end is coming and you are coming soon, on a cloud of glory, and you're gonna make all things new, then we rejoice in that. Come quickly. But whatever you have for us, Lord, we, we bow to your will. You make the darkness tremble. You silence fear. So I pray as we sing that together this morning, we would be a people who can place our whole confidence in Jesus. We pray for that in your name.